it's not one champion. I think it's it's you know multiple champions that somebody needs to to have um, you know and, and multiple industries and multiple markets uh, even better, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it comes over time. I, I want to be I want to be positive about it, uh, but I also want to be realistic about the fact that I think you know you, you you're probably going to need to count on you being able to get there over time. Uh, but as new immigrants, uh, I would encourage, um, uh, uh, you know, your listeners who, who are new to Canada to have patience and persistence um, and really follow a methodology that has worked um, with other people to land them viable jobs um, that eventually led them to success. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fresh Start Podcast, a show where we share success principles, explore the stories, experiences, and journey of real people in order to provide newcomers with strategies to succeed. My name is David Ochenka. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Faham Rashid, who is a Senior Director of Operational Risk Management at CIBC. One of the big five banks in Canada. Faham shared how he landed his first job as an internationally trained immigrant to Canada. What and how of an elevator pitch and much more. Faham completed his MBA from Columbia University in New York and his MPP from the Harvard Kennedy School. Please help me in welcoming Faham Rashid. Please help me in welcoming Faham Rashid. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Faham. Well, thank you, David, for having me. This is a fantastic opportunity to get together and uh, discuss an interesting and timely topic. To kickstart our conversation today, there's a story behind every decision to migrate. What's yours? Um, yeah, so uh, thank you. Um, uh, it's, uh, you know, every uh, immigrant's life is an interesting story to tell um and uh, and mine um you know maybe not as interesting um i had immigrated to the united states in the early 90s as an international student um finished my education there worked for a couple of years and then um you know in the meantime my parents had immigrated to canada um and i'm an only child so i felt the the responsibility, the, the need to be closer to them since they had migrated from, from South Asia to Canada at a cert, such a late age um, for, to be close to me. So I felt uh, it was my responsibility to um, consider um, a life with them closer to Toronto where they lived. Um, so that was one of the reasons personally that, uh, that I migrated and also at that point, when I was finishing up my MBA in, in the mid 2000s, uh, early 2000s, uh, the U.S. market was uh, was um, vibrant, but um, you know, so was the Canadian marketplace from a job opportunity perspective. And I felt, uh, you know, if I took the opportunity to be closer to my parents, and also found a viable employment option, um, that I could um, I could take an opportunity to migrate to Canada and obtain a citizenship here. 
Okay. And did it work out like you, you planned? You know, more or less, uh, you know, it, 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 it's impossible to say what the outcomes uh, of your life uh, would be if you made another decision. And that doesn't, you know, uh, only apply to decisions to immigrate, but every single decision you make, you know, I, I am privileged to have good health, um, you know, be close to my mom, who's a, um, a widow. Uh, my, my father passed away a few years ago um, and be able to support her, see her in good health, um, raise a family in front of her so she has an opportunity to interact with her grandchildren, uh, which means a lot, right? And it's, mm-hmm. it's a value, I think, uh, shared universally mm-hmm. uh, across cultures um, to, for, for, grand, for your parents to be able to enjoy um, their grandkids and see that you know, they're becoming um, who they want to be. Um, from a career perspective, um, I have to admit uh, it was a transition, and, and I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that. Um, but net net, I, I think the Canadian economy, um, you know, is is challenged with its size. Um, there is a, a lot, I think, from an opportunity perspective for the economy to expand itself into you know areas where it's highly educated and motivated workforce could be could, could bring success to the rest of the world and also financial benefit to itself, such as the services business, the services area you know, banking, financial services, insurance, um, you know, management consulting, and other service-oriented, value-added um, uh, industries. Uh, and I think, you know, as it was perching itself for, for a launch uh, into uh, kind of the next generation of growth, we were hit with uh, a long-lasting pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think it's, it's, um, it's yet to be seen how we flex ourselves as a nation out of it and the, the reason that I find personally that to be um, a, 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 a key underpinning for success of individuals is, you know, that will also define the number of interesting uh, employment options and career tra- trajectories that are available to, um, to both, uh, you know, native-born Canadian citizens and, and immigrants alike. Mm-hmm. I find something very interesting in what you said, which is, you know, the career transition and you also sounded very passionate talking about the Canadian economy but we'll we'll get to that in the course of this conversation so let's talk about your career transition you mentioned that when you came to Canada there was a career transition that took place can you tell us more about that and also if you can share how long it took you to eventually get an opportunity to decide when you eventually move to Canada. Yeah, um, a good question. Good question. And, and, and I think, you know, you'd find a variety of outcomes there uh, for, from, from person to person. So, so for me, uh, I moved to Canada with, uh, with a graduate degree, a couple of graduate degrees from, from very well-known schools in the United States. And uh, I attended those schools principally with, uh, with the goal to have highly recognizable uh, educational certifications that would be recognized worldwide. And um, in, in Canada, when I moved here, and, and this is a factor of at least three things, I think. First is the number of uh, you know, interesting jobs that are open um, at that level and pretty senior. I think you know, I, was, I was an experienced you know, self-immigrant. Second, uh, you know, the number of com- competitive candidates with Canadian equivalent experience and Canadian educational backgrounds that compete for those jobs. Mm-hmm. And finally, uh, you know, the industrial mindset uh, in Canada to consider, 
uh, foreign talent who may not have direct Canadian experience. I think those three factors, you know, both uh, helped me uh, as well as prevented me from, from getting uh, likely the most optimal roles um, in the beginning part of my career. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I moved here uh, having secured a job uh, in Canada um, via a, an alumni connection from one of my schools. Uh, you know, I'd made some applications locally, got some job offers locally in the United States, uh, where I would have worked as a, uh, as a foreign passport, um, passported local visa, work visa holder. Uh, and then in the course of those conversations, one of the companies, it kind of latched onto my desire to move up to Canada. And uh, uh, the head of that company, um, which was part of a larger American conglomerate, um, was a, an alumni of my U one of my U.S. schools. And he invited me to come help him, you know, do some strategic planning and, and business development type work. And that's sort of the first linchpin for me to kind of put my roots down in Canada and start to gain some Canadian experience. Um, and I had hoped that, you know, that experience would be propelling me uh, to, you know, more advanced jobs, more senior roles. But, you know, um, as luck would have it, that industry was, was kind of quite limited. And so I continued to have um, challenges to kind of market myself, even though I had marquee degrees. I think the challenge was less, you know, they weren't recognized, but I think it was, uh, you know, kind of a, the ability to tell a story that would be relevant and useful for larger employers in, in Toronto and some of the other large cities to, to understand how my skill set would fit into uh, fit into their their hiring schema, and also trying to be persistent, right? I mean, um, I wasn't necessarily consistently persistent with looking for jobs for with with large banks or financial services or management consulting teams. Uh, it, had I been, I, I think I would have been successful to make a transition into financial services much much earlier uh, than um, than I did, um, which would have been probably better because. In Canada, I think, like most kind of medium-sized developed economies, your future job is always somewhat lynched on, or, or um, you know, dependent on how recognizable your your current employer is from a brand perspective. So people can easily evaluate the the quality of your of your experience, be it individual contributor or management experience. So. So yeah, I would say that um, you know being able to land a job while I was in the United States, still planning for immigration into Canada, uh, was very fortunate for me. However, you know I think uh, you know I would have probably served myself better if after arriving here and gaining a couple of years of experience, which goes by really quickly, been more persistently looking to expand into you know larger markets and with larger employers. It's interesting you, you mentioned the brand of the company, the ability to tell a story, and being persistent. Regarding the ability to tell a story, how did you tell the story? And if you don't mind telling us the industry that you were before and how you were able to tell the story to move into a separate, another industry. And you also said that you were not persistent enough. What do you mean by not being persistent enough? If you can put that in context. Sure, sure. Why don't I want to answer that, that question last? So, you know, I think some, some personal developments, you know, we were just starting a family. Uh, my wife and I had just got married. We were just starting a family. So there, there were some personal pressures and challenges and as, as a new parent. 
um, and with a long commute. Um, I was not working in, in the GTA at the time. So, you know, time goes by really quick sometimes in some phases of your life uh, when you want to have a little bit more map balance potentially away from focusing on career growth. And then, you know, I, I think some, some of that played into it. Um, uh, there were some personal challenges from my parents' perspective. You know, my, my father was, was not doing that great from a health um, viewpoint. So I think, you know, that was important for me to sort of balance that out. But, but in general, I think I still could have potentially, you know, not felt uh, that, that uh, complacent in my role. Um, I had uh, good managers, a supportive environment, um, you know, salary wasn't, you know, th that bad, <laughs> you know, from a lifestyle perspective. But at, at the same time, I think I, I would have, um, I would have served myself better just by, um, you know, consistently looking networking, um, you know, LinkedIn wasn't that big back then before its exponential growth over the last few years. But, you know, even with phone calls and face-to-face and -face meetings to, to uh, allow myself to be um, out there uh, and let people know that I, I was available and I had a certain unique set of skills to offer um, and, and for sure kind of unique educational experiences, which would have probably found value uh, with, with certain people, you know, potentially in the financial services. So, so that's sort of the quick background as to what that, uh, what that was like. And then when I finally, you know, was got serious about the transition, I think, you know, storytelling uh, was extremely important just to put, you know, put two and two together. The, the first two is, is sort of what is the need from a new employer's perspective. So, you know, I transitioned into the Bank of Montreal, you know, with, with a certain role that played uh, to my process and project delivery uh, skills. So, you know, try to understand how to start to fit um, to the needs of that job, what you brought to the table from your previous roles. Uh, you know, how did you uh, successfully deliver a large transitional program and how could that be valuable to a bank you know, um, uh, how do you, uh, you know, start to think about operational efficiency and transformational change uh, by utilizing, you know, process management and process improvement disciplines, et cetera, and, and why that is valuable to certain things that the bank is trying to do, et cetera. And, you know, and, and I think there are uh, you know, several very, very disciplined steps um, a candidate who's trying to make that uh, that change, and, and for me it was a double, right? It was a toonie. First, I was trying to make an industry change, and I was also trying to get a promotion. So it's it's extremely important to ex spend time researching what the what a bank does, how the bank is organized. Uh, you know, in particular, the area that you're applying into, or the types of uh, you know you know programs and projects and business objectives. Um, that are laid out and, and, and how can you bring to bear your previous experience, um, uh, you know, to solve those problems, to help your new employer achieve that, uh, that level, new level of success that they're trying to. And, and you know, and by doing so, uh, you know, having repeated conversations in your networking, by gaining more information about what a what uh, what a new employer or a new industry is trying to trying to achieve, what the big trends are, and fine tuning your message. I think that's how you eventually start to get that elevator pitch really fine tuned about who you are, what you bring to the table, and why that is valuable for a new industry and a new employer to pay attention to. 
Uh, it takes, um, I think, repetitive effort, consistency, um, and you know, <laughs> you are far better the 20th time you do it versus the first time you do it. Um, and it's that the trick to get to that level of really, really crisp storytelling that I think uh, triggers somebody to uh, to start to appreciate you as as a uh, as a candidate. Thank you so much for sharing those principles and those strategies with us. However, if 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 you can, if you can tell us like how you crafted the story, maybe if you can share your own story with us. Yeah. So you know, if for for many banking jobs. Um, three things are, are extremely important. First is to be able to, you know, think strategically um, around a problem, uh, be it serving a client to build uh, a new relationship, um, uh, to deepen a relationship, etc., Or, you know, to think about how, you know, banking systems and technologies need to be, you know, stitched together um, and to, for a more, more digital uh, and more agile experience for the client. So that's that's one dimension. Um, the second dimension is uh, to be able to deliver, right? To not to only be, you know, kind of ivory tower, thinking through things and 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 making uh, very strategic uh, proclamations, but also to be able to roll up your sleeves and get down and dirty to actually make things happen. That's the actual hardcore delivery. And, and finally, uh, to be able to you know maintain very strong and productive relationships across uh, a, a matrixed organization, which is large and you know tens of thousands of people strong, with people from diverse backgrounds, diff different levels of experience, different levels of seniority, and so on. Um, in, you know, if you were to keep those three principles that I that I just defined, which I found out through research and talking to uh, other bankers who are successful in their roles, you know, you can start to match up sort of what I had at that point in time. So coming into banking, uh, I was a former management consultant uh, and, uh, you know, definitely was pretty proficient in thinking strategically about how to frame complex problems uh, in, in understandable terms, you know, you know, laying it out in in um, the type of artifacts uh, and documentation that bankers use and are familiar with, such as PowerPoint, and and storytelling in that way, to to make people energized around a burning platform. Uh, you know, like this is what we need to do. This is why we need a program budget, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Second, on the delivery aspect, you know, I had spent um, several years delivering multi-million-dollar projects in healthcare in Canada. You know, very large projects. You know, many work streams, hundreds of people involved. Um, you know, multiple program managers rolling up to me. To, so you know, that was a proof point that I was able to fold in when it came to understanding how a bank wants delivery executives and delivery-focused leaders, and, and to be able to demonstrate that I had done it in the past, and that type of skill set would be important for for um, a, a bank or a financial institution to consider. And finally, from a relationship management perspective, you know, the previous industry I was in has a very sales focused culture, you know, very down and dirty. You know, if you bring in the bring in the bread, uh, you're a winner. So producers kind of led the charge in terms of 
prestige and hierarchy in the company, in, you know, coming in from a non-sales background and a high, highly merit and performance-driven culture, it, it was an adjustment adjustment for me to to be able to kind of turn in myself into somebody who was understandable, who understood the the culture of selling on the street, right? You know, hitting the street, getting a sale, you know, working with um, with clients of different educational backgrounds and, and diverse needs and so on, and how to be able to drive uh, effectiveness in a diverse sales team that was nationally dispersed. And I think that really helped me understand how to work not only across, you know, a highly merit-driven culture like managing consultancy versus a highly sales-driven culture, which is slightly different and motivated by different factors. And I think that type of training helped me kind of manage the, the matrix relationships that we see in, in large employers where, you know, different people would have different, you know, motivations coming into an interaction with you. And you'd need to be able to have, you know, very high emotional intelligence and a, and a sense to be able to engage with them that drives the right types of outcomes, and which I think in a, in a, a bank type employer appreciates because that allows people to have strategic influence without authority, which is a big thing with, with matrix organizations so that you know, it, it's not all about the top down, it's all about you know, people who are able to get things done without necessarily you know, stepping on other people's objectives and goals. So I would say, you know, coming back to the saying it in a summary way to you, it was understanding what they wanted, boiling it down to, you know, no more than three to five things that I need to focus on and then drawing it back to the types of experiences and skills I have to be able to match up with those requirements of the job and to try to convince that I, I would be one of the people they should definitely consider to hiring, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when I'm back, you know, looking for even more senior roles at the executive ranks, you know, the same thing is happening, right? You have to start to research, okay, what, what is this person X or person Y whose chair I'm interested in, as in, you know, when that person is ready to move on or a, a similar role opens up somewhere else in the bank, how do I compete for that? You, you really have to literally take, you know, sometimes even ask for their resume, hey, person X, person Y, would you mind, you know, sharing me uh, with me your profile? Like, what did you do before? What makes you effective in this job? What is the requirement of this seat? And then you take your resume and do a match, right? Okay, what do I have that matches? You know, does it match good enough? Is it strong enough? And then what do I, what does he or she have that I don't, right? Hmm. And, and their experiences are different for me in X, Y, and Z terms. And how can I close those gaps and how long will it take, right? Mm-hmm. So that type of sort of very mechanical matching, I think at every level really helps. You know, in my other council that I do with, with um, students at Ryerson, for example, that I'm closely affiliated with or, or other, uh, you know, alumni uh, from my U.S. schools who are considering Canada uh, as their new home, is to really say that, look, you know, you have to start off with, it's a much smaller and less vibrant economy for better or worse than New York City, for example, or San Francisco, mm-hmm. where there are thousands of jobs and hundreds of employers willing to give you a chance because it's their mentality to be able to give, give an opportunity to somebody who may not have directly relevant experience. And then, you know, if it doesn't work out, they are also pretty cold and, 
and pretty quick to get rid of you. But here, it's it's less, you know, people getting agitated about you not delivering that quick. I think we're much more patient with our with our employees. It's just a part of our culture, but also it's much harder to get in because most industries have a preconceived notion about who they're looking for. And if you don't have that perfect profile, which mm-hmm. many people do, you may not get that seat. You know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll quickly just give you a quick highlight without mm-hmm. belaboring this point. Recently, you know, in a recent discussion with the headhunter about a role that I knew I wasn't a good fit in, but the headhunter was, you know, the it was very kind about asking for some time just to get to know me. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned that look, this this is a job in corporate finance that's looking for somebody with uh, with a certain certification, you know, multiple certifications in the finance vertical, you know, with finance leadership. If you place me there <laughs> as a potential candidate, I'm sure somebody's going to say that this person has never had this type of experience, even mm-hmm. though it's a strategic job that I could do imminently almost as good as the successful candidate, if not better. It's that uh, traditional type of thinking with some employers that still exist. Mm-hmm. And not only in Canada, it's not a Canadian phenomenon. In any economy where there's you know, more supply than, than demand for, for jobs, that mm-hmm. you find that people would gravitate towards a safe choice, quote unquote, Mm-hmm. than a choice that might open them up to risking whether or not a kind of a non-traditional hire might be able to do the job. And I'll say this, David, um, in all of my roles, somebody took a chance on me. Mm-hmm. And in Canada, getting those people um, are harder than a large economy uh, like the United States or, or, or Asia Pacific, where I've also worked. So you have to constantly be out there um, networking, getting people to get to know you, understand what you can offer, and and have sponsors who can actually substantiate what you're saying to these uh, these potential new employers. Um, also within within your current employer, right? You know, we both work at banks, so you know that as you're looking for your next career step, it's about other leaders' familiarity with you, for them to be able to give you an opportunity. Mm-hmm. to to take on a stretch role, which will mm-hmm. give you some new skills and so on. But that also applies for external jobs. You just have to be able to find a champion who's willing to, you know, kind of thump the table on your behalf saying that, no, 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 we want David or we want Faham because I think, you know, that's a different type of a promise than a, than a traditional candidate. But I'll pause there um, for now. You, you said some very interesting things, which I would like us to uncover. Earlier, you spoke about networking, and you also spoke about fine-tuning your message. You also mentioned repetitive effort and consistency. So let's speak, let's talk about networking. You mentioned that one needs to find a champion, and you also said somebody took a chance on you. Can you tell us about how you eventually got that champion to take a chance on you? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. And I think it's not one champion. I think it's, it's you know, multiple champions that somebody needs to, to have, um, you know, in, in multiple industries and multiple markets, uh, even better, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it comes over time. I, I want to be, be positive about it. Uh, but I also want to be realistic about the fact that I think, you know, you, you, you're probably going to need to count on you being able to get there over time. Uh, but as new immigrants, uh, I would encourage, um, uh, 
you know, your listeners who, who are new to Canada to have patience and persistence um, and really follow a methodology that has worked um, with other people to land them viable jobs um, that eventually led them to success. Uh, so, so for me, um, at BMO, my, my first employer, you know, there are a couple of men um, who I worked with, uh, my managers, they uh, interviewed me and, you know, kind of, kind of dropped the, the standard, you know, intake interview to really ask me why I made this, this, the same choices that we were talking about today, move to Canada, you know, why a bank is a good thing for me to consider at that point in my career. And, you know, also it took the time to research my background, right, which is, which is very unusual. People are busy. There are too many applicants for for any jobs, especially in Toronto, and it's rare to be able to find executives who are are willing to take a moment to say, okay, don't quite know, um, you know, where this this person worked. Let's go do some research to find out what type of industry that is, and so on. And and they had the patience to say that, look, yeah, he could potentially interact with the senior level people that, that we want to interact with for effective project delivery. It was a process and project role. So it was really important for them to bring in senior talent who could speak clearly uh, about the, the requirements of, of a specific uh, program to be able to convince uh, you know, stakeholders around an, a mission and maintain a business relationship. So so all of that, I think, uh, you know, were ingredients they found in my candidacy. And, you know, alongside me, hired a couple of other experienced mid-career um, uh, senior managers. And, you know, that's sort of how I got started. And, and I wouldn't discount also the fortune of being able to connect at that juncture for that job with those two hiring managers, right, who were willing to, to take a chance again on, on my candidacy. So that was the beginning. And then the, 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 the next step, as luck would have it, and this is something that I, I would highly encourage people to do, you know, more so now than it was back then, this is what more than, more, more than a decade ago, I think many um, HR um, are recruiting professionals, HR business partners or recruiting professionals are willing to take um, a short chat on Zoom um, or a telephone call if you reach out to them via LinkedIn, right? You see a role, you somehow research to the fact that it's David so-and-so who's, who's posted the job, you know, ping that person. For every 10 pings, you might get somebody willing to chat with you. And the objective there is to make sure that your candidacy is, is well known by that person to be able to move that resume up the chain one, and also to potentially understand if that's indeed a job that is a good fit for you, uh, especially if you're a newcomer to the country. Can you actually effectively compete for that job, vis-a-vis uh, -vis, you know Canadian applicants or or for other more experienced applicants? Right, right. So, I think that was helpful. I did that. Um, fortunately, that recruiter, um, who's a senior business partner at Back Montreal now, are, and I are still connected um, as an, a kind of industry colleagues, um, and you know she found my candidacy to be quite interesting. Um, she asked me to come in for an informational face-to-face -face interview and then move me up to meet with her manager, who's the person who kind of presented my resume to the hiring managers for another face-to-face -face interview. And, you know, I prepared as much as possible. I told the story as crisply as possible. But by that time, it was the third iteration. And my, as, as, you, as you pointed out earlier, 
my um, delivery was becoming crisper, right? So the fourth iteration was actually with the hiring managers. I'd expected to go through a fifth round, but that didn't happen because, you know, that, that team didn't have, an, uh, had have a hiring executive or a senior executive at the time. So, uh, you know, after the fourth interview and, you know, uh, it, it worked out well, um, I had already accepted a role at a yet another but larger healthcare company uh, in a similar role. And so it was um, a lucky break times two <laughs> that happened simultaneously. And I chose the Bank of Montreal because I wanted to move into financial services. I wanted to move into a far more recognizable uh, Canadian brand um, and, uh, and also have the opportunity as, as the Bank of Montreal Financial Group expanded globally to have an opportunity to, to work back in the United States, which fortunately I also was able to do later on in, in my career there. So sort of that's the confluence of events, David, that happened. Lucky break, um, being able to talk to somebody in person who saw me not only as a candidate, but also somebody with a real opportunity to make a difference. And then um, understanding and patient hiring managers. Um, I, I would also add that there's, there's something that actually works for me now better because I believe in it more um, is you need to find um, mentors who are successful in Canada or your target industry or target market um, senior, much more senior than the roles that you're targeting who would be able to give you the straight advice, right? Not mm -hmm. sugarcoating. You know, if you're not doing well in resume preparation, they should be able to point out exactly that um, mm -hmm. without, you know, wasting time. If you're messaging is not crisp they need to tell you that right mm -hmm. um, if there's any mechanical problem with the pr process with with which you're engaging with the labor market such as your resume is too long and it's not being read well by an, an automatic and a character recognition software they need to be able to tell you that mm -hmm. um, and, and for that you need to potentially talk to multiple people and be able to kind of put together a core set of advice that you check off. Say that, you know what, David over there said that my resume is too long. I may have heard that before. I need mm -hmm. to cut down some fat, right? I need to cut down to really crisp messaging. You know, Roy over there said, you know, I'm, I'm not very crisp with my delivery. And, you know, I need to fine tune my message. I've heard that before. And I think I kind of feel it that I talk too much because I'm nervous. How can I cut it down to everything will be in three sentences or five sentences? Then I'll wait for a next question and then kind of keep going that way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's about, you know, your personal effectiveness in an interview. Somebody else said, you know, uh, you're looking for technology jobs and culturally, you know, people don't really dress up and you're in a full suit and tie. It kind of difficult for you, us to visualize whether or not you're going to be a good fit because you might be looking for a more formal environment. That has actually happened to me. So I'll, I'll tell you that. So, you know, you start to wonder what is the proper way for you to dress up, even for a Zoom interview, to so give the, the hiring team comfort that you would be a good cultural fit. So, you know, these are the types of things that a lot of immigrant cultures, myself being an immigrant, they're kind of embarrassed to mention to somebody for for the fear of you know not being accepted well or for fear of being perceived as rude like oh faham said something to my face that made me feel really really bad you know he's kind of an abrasive person but you really need to because you're trying to establish yourself potentially far from home in a market that you've never worked in for new immigrants you know take a deep breath and take this feedback um, 
and really run with it. Uh, the people who have are now really successful that, that I have seen. And frankly, I, I think the nervousness of immigrants from countries, you know, such as, such as Bangladesh, that I'm, I'm from Bangladesh, versus my peers who have never left Bangladesh and have done well there, you know, is, is in stark contrast, as if, as if you've taken somebody from their home culture where they had success, they had confidence, they had a belief of success in themselves and put them in a new culture and they lose that profile of strength. So it's important for them to get their strength back. And it's our responsibility of successful, as successful immigrants, yourself, myself and others, to be able to give them the straight goods to say, the path to that place of comfort and success that you're looking for when you dreamt about a new life for yourself and your family in Canada is through you understanding and integrating this, this straightforward advice we're giving you, because this is the fastest way for you to be able to be successfully moving into the government or the bank or X or Y industry, right? And not sugarcoat it too much, because I think that helps them better and, and, cuts their delay to a successful, gainful employment. Um, so let's talk about your educational background. You went to Columbia University and you went to Harvard University. Now, some people would think that with that, I don't need to fine tune my story. I just need to present my resume and that would do it for me. Is that true? And also, some people believe that once you've gone to like Harvard University, Columbia University, Stanford University, MIT, Berkeley, all those, all those top schools that they will speak for you and you will get a very good job. Is that true? Um, it depends, right? So I think the market's reality in the Canadian context is a big factor there. Um, there's growing appreciation for foreign degrees, um, for sure right? Um, the, the, no, no doubt about it at all. Uh, and the industrial mindset here, even in banks are changing. Um, you know, banks in, in this country are chartered and, you know, they are uh, under the mandate of, of the, the government from a performance management perspective, but then that they're, they're also quite competitive. So, you know, as digitization and transformation from the old banking mindset to the new banking mindset, starts to set in in different rank and f different functions of the bank, you know, cost containment, and, uh, you know, and being efficient, globalization, uh, all of those mandates um, are, are put into the strategy book, the strategy playbook of, of large Canadian banks. I think you're going to see the, the need for, um, for um, uh, a diverse talent, which includes uh, you know, experienced and, and highly educated uh, foreign talent. So, so I think that the demand profile is changing for, for, for in the labor market. Uh, is it changing in a, in a manner in which, you know, you, you would see uh, an influx of, of, uh, of people with my profile into Canada? That, that's a question mark in my mind um, because, you know, there's still a very good steady, consistent supply of Canadian talent into the market uh, and also people who've, you know, kind of work their way up the ranks uh, from entering the bank after their completion of studies in Canada or elsewhere, who are, who are also competing for the job. So there, there are three pressures on, on a single seat that comes open. Um, 
but, but, but also the number of kind of open positions that large employers in Canada hire for and the types of skills that are required in that in those positions are also changing very dramatically. And, and it would probably be the case that can, the Canadian employers would have to seek foreign talent um, as the as the potential supply of 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 the skill set may not be available with um, with, with with locally available um, locally available candidates, uh, but that's again an equation that we have to see how it plays out. Uh, so, so coming back to whether or not <laughs> you can punch your own ticket is, I think, onto you. Um, so you know if 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 you take a look at um, um, something that is not entirely technical um, or um, a, a a job that doesn't um, doesn't allow you to sort of make your sort of own pathway through, such as being a physician or a researcher, where you manage your own time, you know you have certain skill sets and expertise to serve a certain need that exists in the marketplace for doctors, especially, you know, foreign trained specialists come from the UK or Europe or the United States medical schools. They'll come in with very, 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 very fine tuned and highly experienced expertise to serve, you know, a certain segment of patients who need their skills and expertise. When my dad was sick, you know, I saw many foreign trained oncologists, you know, trying to come up with therapeutics and, um, and therapeutic pathways that would help his specific condition. Um, and you know, a lot of them had really fancy degrees and they were very smart, very aware of what was happening in, in the world in terms of therapeutic choices and, and medicine and other such things that are available, what the outcomes of that might be and, and so on. If you're a researcher in a university, your big name degrees would probably be really helpful for you to be published, right? Um, because, you know, you would have that depth of research uh, to be able to kind of make your mark in with original contributions to literature. Um, in banking, um, in a lot of the other industrial jobs, it's also about how you engage effectively with people. So, so which for which you don't need a fancy degree, right? You, you mm -hmm. just need to be effective. Um, you know, just because you went to Harvard doesn't make you a good deliverer. So I think a lot of industries are now looking for people who are highly engaged in how to get people to deliver on a mission, um, mm -hmm. how to um, boil down complex realities of banking, um, and for that matter, in a risk prudent way. So we make the right decisions, right? So we don't have an obvious error. So I think a lot of that is engagement with people, personal effectiveness, you know, people skills, leadership style, uh, common sense, which for which you don't need fancy Ivy League degrees. Um, now, if you turn to cultures in which, you know, they do value and coordinate and correlate um, the fact that you're able to gain admission to demanding programs that are highly recognized and, and respected with high prestige around the world as a marker for your success. You know, I'm, I'm from South Asia. It's different there, right? So merit has a much bigger weight Mm -hmm. um, in order for you to be able to gain acceptance into more senior roles, for example, in certain industries and so on. So it depends on where you are. Um, I had the privilege of working in, in the Asia Pacific market for, uh, for one of my employers, a Canadian bank. 
And when I was out there, you know, I saw the types of cultural norms in the professional environment that I grew up with, right? Mm-hmm. You know, highly respectful cultures, you know, your hierarchy or position means a lot. People, you know, would, um, would look for you permission before doing anything. So it's, it's very top down. And in one instance, I recall somebody trying to, you know, get to, you know, you know get me to sign uh, a document because they're afraid if their name was on the signature and they didn't have my title, somebody would actually come and, you know, you know, and, and um, ask the, um, ask an, an audit question about why that person misrepresented the bank, et cetera. So it's very, it's very um, pedantic in that way in, in certain aspects of, of an Asian professional environment still. Um, at the same time, at the same time, uh, you know, there are other aspects coming back to your previous question um, about how the cultures enrich each other. Mm-hmm. You know, we're now going through a pandemic where mask wearing, I'll take that up, uh, you know, is a controversial topic, but far more accepted in Canada than anywhere else because, you know, we like to follow the rules. We care about our, our health as well as protecting others from us. And, and you know, when you are in, uh, in an, a, you know, a large Asian metropolis, it's much more accepted for you, even outside of a pandemic, to be able to, to put on a mask without uh, anybody, you know, kind of judging you negatively because it's much more socially accepted. If you're feeling unwell, if you have a cold in order to protect others, you can put on a mask and get on the public transit and so on. Mm-hmm. So those are the types of things, right? In, in a culture in which you know, merit is accepted, but there's also an acceptance of you know, rules and regulations from a culture in which how you engage with others to solve a problem comes first, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a lesson. That's a lesson for a lot of people who are highly educated from all over the world who arrived to Canada. Uh, to say that I am going to try to continue to be a doctor or an engineer of a certain stature. Mm-hmm. I think you need to start to appreciate the fact that here it's about being able to align your profile with the need of a certain job. That's mm-hmm. number one. Number two, to tell your story effectively so they see you as, an, as a very strong cultural fit. And finally, while you're in the job, in the seat to be able to engage in a manner that improves the cultural and professional objective of the firm, right? Mm-hmm. I, think, I think those are the things that uh, it's, they're not rooted in the degree that, you're, that you have, the level of degree that you have, be it Harvard, Stanford, Columbia, or otherwise, mm-hmm. um, or how senior you are. Unless you are, <laughs> are able to luckily kind of get into professions in which you have more control on your professional destiny. So again, a couple of examples come to mind based on my own personal experiences, you know, working with foreign trained doctors in Canada for my family's health, um, or a researcher in academics who may not be kind of uh, uh, under the demand of a multidimensional role and have the only job to improve the a university's prestige by publishing more and the way they publish more oftentimes is through their previous educational background. I guess that's the way I put it. This is the end of part one. We've actually got a lot more coming in part two. I love the fact that Faham was very authentic. And as you can tell, it was a great conversation with Faham. And I'm excited for part two where 
Farham discussed extensively how to land a job as an internationally trained professional, how to move from a generalist to a specialist in your career, and many more. So stay tuned for part two coming in the next episode of the Fresh Start Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fresh Start. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone you know and love. Please go ahead and subscribe on any platform you listen to your podcast. And also please take a moment to leave us a review because that would help us to reach more audience. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at freshstartorb. If you know any newcomer you think would be a good fit to interview for the podcast, we'd like to hear from you please go to www.thefreshstartup.com to nominate someone. We appreciate you and remember, no matter how hard the past is, you can always begin again. Take care and have a great week.